Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that is raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Solace, and with me is my very, very talented friend who has got me pickled more than once, more than I can count, the mixtress DC Gina. Hi, Louise. Hi, lovely. I mean, pickled. That's a new term for being sloth. <laughs> you like it? Kind I mean, of matches the background. You got a lot of, a lot of green going on. Uh, I'm camouflaged today. There you go. Don't, yeah. I mean, I mean, cocktail camouflage. If I hide myself with glasses <laughs> and a green shirt, you'll never know I'm here. Yeah, well, don't dance. Don't stand still then. Cause the last thing I want to do is lose you. Oh, that was very nice. <laughs> I drink a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we all know Gina, you're kind of a big deal. Oh, uh, uh-huh. uh-huh. here we go. We're keeping this pickle thing going. Did you know that the New York Food Museum, yes, the New York Food, Mu- Food Museum, um, has, according to them, um, the practice of pickling is very ancient. And archaeologists say that the evidence actually back goes all the way back to the Mesopotamians during, uh, like, in like 2400 BC. Okay. Yeah. I that's agree. A long time to pickle. I don't know if I want to eat that pickle, but hey. Um, so if you jump ahead with me about 2,000 years, give or take, to the 14th century, 14th century BC, Aristotle is actually noted praising the healing powers of the cured cucumber. Gotta say that in a cool voice because it's a cucumber. Uh, <laughs> we have to get you sound effects. Janice, can you help me with that? So yeah. <laughs> now let's jump ahead another 350 years, give or take, to the 20, to 27, 27 BC. And the Roman emperors, yes, they fed pickles to their troops because they believed it gave them physical and spiritual strength. Um, <laughs> and then we're just going to keep moving forward on this little pickle journey um, to the six, to 16th century England. And Queen Elizabeth apparently expressed a great love for the humble pickle. That sounds a little odd out of context, but apparently she did. And the term in a pickle is actually found in Shakespeare's The Tempter, Temptist. Um, so we're going to keep going. Got one more for you. And we're going to go a little 300, about 300 years to Napoleon. And he apparently drank the Romans pickling brine because he too believed kept his army strong. Well, I mean, when you think about all that pickle knowledge, I think that's amazing. And then you could jump to, um, last year when the pickleback became the hot shot. Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe we did some of those at Tails. Pickle juice. Yeah, we did a couple, yeah, yeah, we did. Speaking we did. of hot shots, I'm in, I'm in. Yeah, okay, so speaking of hot shots, let's talk about today's designated drinker, shall we? Yes. She is cookbook author, food writer, and the founder of Dominica Cooks, Dominica Marchetti. Welcome to the show, Dominica. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, Hi. since you're such a big deal, just like Gina. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Look, uh-huh. we Italians love our pickles, right? We right. love our pickled things. Apparently, apparently with the Romans and their strong pickles. Yeah. That seemed wrong altogether. I think I'm going to not say that again. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. We can have a different kind of show. With, with, that's fine. Domenico will be into it. Yeah. We'll have a couple of shots of gin and then we'll just move on. There you go. All right. <laughs> So, Dominica, uh, like I said, you're an author. You've written seven cookbooks. Um, yes. But to make all of this make sense, I want to jump right in and talk about your cookbook, Preserving Italy, Canning, Curing, Infusing, and Bottling Italian Flavors and Traditions. That's a mouthful. Let's talk yeah. about that, Can, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What would you like to know? I would like to know everything about it. What was the inspiration behind 
said cookbook? Ah, oh, there it is. There um, it is. <laughs> my seventh baby. Um, <laughs> not human baby. Anyway, um, more books than children, thankfully. Um, <laughs> you would be a very busy woman. <laughs> um so uh, I've sort of approached writing about Italian food as kind of um, in a single subject way. So I had written about Italian, so I'd written about pasta. I had written about um, Italian vegetables. Um, I had written a little book on biscotti. And so I was kind of looking for my next project. And um, I, it actually dovetailed with this separate thing I was trying to do, which was recreate a recipe from my grandmother's. Um, and she had these wonderful amarene sotto spirito, which means cherries preserved in alcohol. So there are these little, lovely little dark um, sour cherries that grow in Italy. And um, in Abruzzo, the region my family's from, what they do is they uh, dry them out in the sun and then they um, mix them with sugar and preserve them with brandy and alcohol. And, um, I just had such fun memories of those wonderful cherries. Uh, when my grandmother passed away, she did not, um, she had not written down the recipe. So um, I really wanted to recreate it. And when she passed away, there were still a few bottles of these cherries in the pantry. And my mom and her sisters were very parsimonious about doling out these cherries to um, my sister and me. And the only time we could get them is if we, you know, if we had really bad cramps or said we had really bad cramps. Because, <laughs> so, you know, of course, booze is a cure-all, right? And so, exactly. Um, anyway, uh, at a certain point, I just thought, I really want to recreate these cherries. And so I did that using sour cherries that I could find around here. And um, that kind of just set me down a rabbit hole into looking at other Italian preserving traditions and other ingredients. I mean, um, preserving is such a big tradition in Italy, and it still is, because um, every anywhere there's like a little patch of grass or land, somebody is growing something on it. And so Italians are gardeners, and they grow things. And, you know, at the end of the season, they preserve those things. And so the more I dug into this subject, the more I found to write about. That's amazing. That's really cool. So did uh did you recreate those cherries? Can I find I, them in I did. They're um they're in the book. I can't tell you what page they're they're on, but they definitely are in the book, along with some other boozy recipes. I have grapes preserved in grappa. Um I have recipes for limoncello and crema di limoncello, which is limoncello with cream, uh coffee liqueur, nocino, which is green walnut liqueur. I'm sure Gina is familiar. My favorite. Right. Yeah, yeah. Put it on top of ice cream. Yeah, like a little shot of a, an espresso, so like an good. avocado. So good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but the book deals with everything from preserves in vinegar to preserves in oil. Italians are, uh, really love preserving things in oil, like zucchini, eggplant, um, artichokes, all those wonderful vegetables. And then I've got jams and marmalades and condiments and um, confections, any, you know, because sugar, of course, is also a preservative. So anything that you can preserve, pretty much, I, <laughs> I did it or tried. <laughs> well, we just thought, we thought it was... Um apropos to bring you on now obviously to be a part of the show everyone all of our listeners going through covid with the rest of us yes um, planning their gardens gina you're how's your garden going so my garden so we just had a frost here in dc um like a week ago and which was crazy so we were outside 
uh, taking plastic and covering our garden and, and my fig, um, my fig tree started to put their little blooms on. So we covered the trees so they wouldn't get frosty because I live out in Maryland. So where the city didn't get the actual frost, we did. Mm. So I'm sitting there and my husband's like, what are we doing right now? I'm like, we're going to wrap up the fig trees. He's like, why? I'm like, cause we're going to lose all the buds and we won't get everything. And then we're just going to get September harvest. And it's not going to be good. He's like, so I have a question about that because I have a little fig tree too. And it's been so prolific over the years. And, um, and I had little baby figs all over it and they're now gone. Cause they, it got too cold. So I'm hoping that I get a second crop, but so you'll, you'll get it. So it'll get hot again, obviously. And You'll get a September. It's so cold. Yeah, you'll get a September <laughs> yield. It'll come back. It'll push more fruit, but you're gonna get like less fruit. And then at this point, how big is your tree? Is it's it like three feet, four feet. How many feet? Yeah, it's it's taller than I am, so it's over five feet tall. Um, and it's it's in a good location. It does really well. One year. Some years ago, we had a really bad winter, and um, I know a lot of fig trees, trees died, and I cut this thing back to the ground. So it's now like more of a bush than a tree, but yep. it still produces. So I'm hoping that it'll produce for me. You but, can feed it. Like, so um, I like to, so I give my fig trees, like, I, you know, I really try to like nurture them a lot. So we have a lot of eggshells here. Obviously, I own a, a breakfast place. So I'll take the eggshells, I'll dry them out, and I grind them down to almost like a powder. And I just put it around the base of the fig tree. And um, yeah, I'm like super crazy. And we eat a lot of eggs, so I um, I will do you that. You got to let them dry. Don't okay. just throw them outside because it doesn't work that way. You got to let them dry and then take like your um, coffee grinder or food mill or whatever you have. And you make it into a powder and you just kind of like just sprinkle in your garden. And cool. it's just really good for... Um, the fig trees, same way like you give coffee grinds to roses, you know, yeah. the acidic yeah. makes the um, the roses smell better. It's it's kind of a, a thing, right? That's yeah, cool. well, I'll share this with my daughter who actually did plant a vegetable garden in our backyard. And she's she actually did cover her plants um, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, she managed to save that. But I, you know, I... I call my garden the garden of neglect because <laughs> if anything blooms, it's blooming, blooming no thanks to me or growing no thanks to me. Yeah. In spite of you? You sound yeah, like me. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, did, um, I did get inspired, though, after I like, chatted with you briefly before. And like, I never grow oak. I, like, I, I don't usually grow okra because it's a pain in my butt. And <laughs> now I'm going to pickle it and do the whole thing. Good. So like... I was like, oh, maybe I'll do something. And then like, I'm like, all right, we'll do the pickled okra. So I'm growing red okra. And it, and it, Ooh, and it, that's pretty too. Yeah, it, um, it, and I, I planted um, like two rows of it. So we'll see nice. you know, how much we get out of it. You know, it'll be enough for like, I don't know, six or seven quarts or so. Yeah. But like that was something I did not plan on doing. But after our little conversation, I was like, no. Oh, yeah, you know, you got to improvise, right? You have to be. Yeah, well, I was thinking about the pickles. And I was like, well, yeah. this could be fun. And do the Italian twist on something that's very Southern because I live here in, you know, Maryland, yeah. you know, whatever, we'll figure it out. Yeah. For fun. You inspired <laughs> cool. me. Well, thank nice. you. I'm glad nice. to hear it. Yeah, like <laughs> so, um, Gina, Sorry. when when is ramp season? You missed it. Okay. The only reason I bring this up is, uh, Dominica, one of my favorite, like, pickled thing, anything I've ever had. Gina and I were working on a project and she was making these beautiful, um, 
dirty martinis and she was using these pickled ramps. I mean, I have some. And they were like this beautiful purple color. And I was drinking all the outtakes. <laughs> we did Let's just um, say I was just a, I wasn't on, I wasn't on camera. I was behind the camera, but I was just a little tipsy on that one. You know, <laughs> well, you know, so many pickles are beautiful. I have to say in ramps, uh, you know, a nice jar of those really pretty little um, roots and, and stems. And they do have that pinkish cast to them. They're really lovely. That's not in the book, but I have pickled ramps before. And um, yeah, they're so delicious. Um, but you know, little jars of pickled artichokes and- um, Do you have the cipollini onions in your book? Like I do. I have sweet and sour cipollina onions uh, and they're pickled with a little bit of, uh, orange peel and balsamic vinegar and uh, those are so good. Like did you use white balsamic or did you use uh, a dark balsamic? I used white uh, but you mm. could use dark. I mean it obviously changes the color but. Um, no but I that, agree with the white. I'm just wondering yeah. which one you used. Yeah. Um, I would so love that these, idea. What are these little things? Those little flat onions, they're called chipolina onions. Oh. So, so they're kind of squat. They look like little saucers. But they're <laughs> great for pickling and, and um, martinis. And they're good and and you know, like in an antipasto platter too. So they're really good with um some you know pungent cheese and, and that little sweet and sour onion on the side is such a nice combination. Nice. Well, that's a fun one. We should we should um well you should buy the book. Everyone's listening should buy your book. And then we'll <laughs> one more time just in case you didn't it. get it. Here it is. <laughs> it's yeah. preserving Italy. <laughs> I love that. I feel like that's, Vanna. What? I feel like Vanna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm um I'm look the cover has also one of my other favorite recipes from the book is um sweet and sour grilled peppers. So Ooh. you grill or broil peppers and you know how you get the skin all charred and then you peel them. So you've got kind of this smoky flavor and you put them in a sweet and sour brine um, with uh, sugar and vinegar and then a little bit of garlic and capers and parsley and you let the peppers sit in that brine and then you drain them and you pack them in jars with olive oil and then just pop them in your fridge. And they are so good. I always have a jar of those peppers um, in my fridge and you know they're great on pizza, they're great tossed with pasta, they're good on salads and sandwiches. Um, so that's the wonderful thing about preserving is you know, like even if the season is over, you've still got these wonderful vegetables in your pantry or in your fridge. What do you give me, give on, so, you know, you have a lot of people that are, um, you know, just like twofers that are listening to the show or singles. Um, give us like one thing that if you were going to buy your book, what are you going to make out of your book for somebody that like just might be a couple or a single person? That you give, oh. you give, Like must have. Okay. Well, I mean, those peppers are one thing. Um, one of my favorite pasta recipes in the book is this lemon um, spaghettini al limone. And so um, one of the, the preserving element of it is olive oil that's been infused with lemon peel. And you can just sort of, um, you know, let it steep and then use it for any number of things on salad, whatever. But I love this... Um, spaghetti and I make it often. So it's the lemon olive oil, a little bit of cream, and um, and that's basically you toss it with pasta 
um, with lots of Parmesan and a little bit of basil or parsley. And it's such an easy thing to make. Um, so I really like to do recipes that are accommodating and that are accessible. Um, you know, I, um, I do like complicated recipes too, but I do like, um, I, you know, I don't want to intimidate anybody. So I try to write books that have a little bit of something for everybody. You start out simple and then you can kind of, um, you know, work your way. I turned right knowledge. to the page. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, which one is that? Is this that... is the lemon olive oil. Oh, the lemon olive oil. Yeah. And then the, um, so uh, there you can make homemade ricotta. There's a recipe for homemade ricotta in the book that is so easy. All you need is good milk and buttermilk and um, you can make your own ricotta and then you can use that to make ricotta gnocchi. So if you're trying to learn a little bit about Italian cooking and Italian food traditions, um, that's a nice way to go. Um, I love that. See, that's, that's, yeah. that's like the one thing I always like, I, a lot of people have a big problem with um, cookbooks is that everything's like yields four, six people servings. And then you're like home alone. You're like, okay, I'll make, um, you know, 40 portions. I don't know. Yeah. No, <laughs> and, and, um, the nice thing about preserves though, is once you've made them and these, I would consider most of the recipes in this book, small batch preserves. There's yeah. nothing that's going to make like 50 quarts or whatever. Um, so, uh, cause I don't have a huge pantry and my kids are, you know, well, one's home temporarily, but they, they're off in college. And so there's two of us at home most of the time. But um, the nice thing about preserves is you put them up and then you can use as much or as little as you want. And you always have more for next time. So um, it's, you know, it's, they're a good thing to have around whether you have a lot of people or if just, you know, one yourself or, or whatever. Um, those roasted peppers I was telling you about, fry an egg, you know, in some of those peppers and, that's one of my favorite solo meals. Oh, I love that. Maybe we'll have a dedication um, breakfast sandwich for you. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> I mean, I have no problem. The Dominica sounds perfect. For I me, love a good breakfast sandwich. For yeah. me, it comes on like an oregano, dried oregano, bagel, you know, basil, a little bit of like roasted uh, tomatoes. Yeah. I don't know. Nice. I, I hear it. I feel it. I can, I can yeah. see like all the wheels turning. Um, I, can, I, I, I can hear it. I can hear it. It's a little squeaky, but I hear I, it. <laughs> I feel like it's time for a cocktail. Let's do okay. it. And now that I have a spoon, I can touch my camera. So it's kind of like coming the same right. thing for me. I, I have one of those too. My husband yes. put out some tools for me. He's the drink mixer in the house, but he's working right now. So did you, um, you're, you know, you ever saw the prices, right? Yes. Yes. Bob Barker had that little microphone in the okay. 70s. And he's like, he's like, and what was your? I was like, one dollar, one dollar, yeah. So, yeah. So who knew? Come on down, right? Anyway. So Gina, where are we coming down to? We come down to Buffalo and Burgundy, Capitol Hill. There you go. Sorry, I. Uh, I think it's time I need a drink. I think it's we're in the afternoon. It's it's time for a cocktail. Let's do it's it. Cocktail time. Yes. It is. All right. So we are going to. I'm gonna move my camera down here a little. Um, so I have, a little, I have a stirring glass. You can use a pint glass, um, any sort of vessel, plastic cup, core container, whatever you got at home. Anything's acceptable. And we are going to take one ounce of, of gin. Now my recipe calls for one ounce and a quarter because that's what I like to put in to um, this cocktail. I just like a little bit more gin on it. So you're gonna do one and a quarter ounces. If you wanna do like me, if you wanna keep it a little bit lighter, then do one out. Okay. And then, and then we're gonna do um, 
One ounce of Campari. One ounce of Campari. That's right up my alley. <laughs> um, which is really quite lovely. So this is where we're gonna, everyone's gonna veer off a little bit. Um, so Louise has a celery bitter simple syrup, which we'll put the recipe on designateddrinker.show. And she's making a, a very easy um, at-home version of a bittering, a, a bittering syrup. And Dominica has rhubarb syrup, rhubarb which she syrup. made. And rhubarb is extremely bitter in its own nature. So we are going to, instead of, so we're making a Negroni-esque kind of drink, we're gonna take a half an ounce of the rhubarb syrup or your celery syrup, and I'm using celery. And then you're gonna take a half an ounce of, of red vermouth. Um, and I believe that Dominica is using pute mas. And we're yes, gonna use Dolan, um, Dolan Ruth, um, Tolan vermouth here. <laughs> Yikes, everybody, whoa. Okay. Sounds like you need a drink, Gina. <laughs> Sounds like I need something, I don't know. It's a long morning in, in the baking world, I'll tell you. Anyway, so we're gonna fill our um, stirring glass up three quarters, a little more than three quarters of a way. And so my the temperature where we are right now is about 68 degrees in here, so this is about 30 rotations. If you keep your house at a comfortable 79 degrees, you're gonna need, yeah. you need to stir this at about 45 rotations, because what you want to do is you want to get it so it has a nice chill on it. Okay. Now, you can make the choice how to serve your drink at this point. You can serve it on a rock. You can serve it up if you'd like. I am gonna serve mine on the rocks. And, and rocks almost flat. there. I'm I think I'll this. serve mine up or up. neat or whatever you guys call it. Sure. <laughs> are, we gonna, are we gonna go up or you guys wanna go up or I'm gonna go rocks. You guys go up and I'll go rocks. And this is definitely appropriate when going to a bar to ask for your um, your Negroni either on the rocks or up. But if you don't ask for it um, any particular way, it will come to you on the rocks. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Yeah. So don't be surprised. So now, got our glass. We can all see it, yes. And we are going to strain our cocktail in. Ooh. And, you know, there are so many different uses for uh, tops of things or, Ooh, um, you know, you know, carrots, uh, celery tops, whatever you like, cilantro. So kind of like, you know, I like to use uh, celery stalks or whatever you have left or whatever is in there if you have rhubarb left over. But one thing I do like with rhubarb or this is you put the orange in always. and. You don't have to keep it in there. You take it, throw it out. Um, but I mean, for me, I do it for my own look of things. So that well, peel. I'm, I'm out of orange peel, but I did. You could do lemon. I got a little some strawberries from the farmers market today, so oh, I'm, do that. I'm gonna put that on the edge of my drink. Just so I love it that. Looks pretty. And strawberry and rhubarb are partners, so they go well together. Yeah, I'm totally into that. Ah, yum. Okay, we're good. Let me see everybody's cocktail now. I'm ready. My cocktail. Oh, pretty. Hold them up. Let's all hold them up. Oh, very nice. See? I love it. I kept my uh, I kept my celery tops. Oh, it's pretty. Thanks. I'm into it. All right, let's try it. All right. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Salud. Cheers. Mmm. Oh, so wow. Good. Mm. That's so nice. It's really fresh. 
What's nice about it is that like now you have like, you're looking in your refrigerator and you're like, oh, what am I going to do? I have all this, you know, wilting celery. I'm going to use it. Or you're going to the farmer's market. Now you're going into rhubarb season. You see all these stocky, you know, um, items and stuff. And like, you know, I was thinking about this as we were doing this. Something that might be really good with this also is just like fresh juice bok choy. If you want to do Ooh. more of an Asian route. Ooh, and wow. um, yeah, it's, you know, it's just another chrysalis, right? So yeah. basically, you know, just juice that and then add a little bit of salt to it. And you can make like a, um, maybe like a more Asian version of this if you want to be like a little, you know, on the different, uh, different side of it and then use like an Asian style gin, um, like Roku or like a Japanese gin like Roku. And that could be really lovely. So let me ask so, you this, Gina, if you, um, um, if you, on that bok choy, would you just juice the bok choy or yeah. would you juice it and then make a, a syrup? With no, it? I would juice it and then marry in a little bit of simple syrup. So I would take the juice and then do equal parts of um, simple syrup to it. I wouldn't cook it. Gotcha. Now rhubarb, I would cook and clarify because that's a pain in the yeah. Well, I only ended up with rhubarb syrup because I roasted some rhubarb for a, um, rhubarb and frangipan tart that I was making. So Yum. I roasted the rhubarb and then you have to drain it. So you end up with all this liquid. And so then I just cooked it down into a syrup. So that's- 100% and I love that. <laughs> and then is everybody in your house other, cause like I can see you, you're very like slender. Is everybody else in your house like 500 pounds? Cause I would be eating that tart like, like that. So that's why you can only see me from here up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slender from Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the co this uh, staying at home has been an excellent for uh, me yeah. buying new jeans. I'm stimulating the economy <laughs> by buying new pants yeah. and lying to myself <laughs> and saying I can still wear jeans. It yeah. is a full size bigger. <laughs> yep. Oh gosh, some lots of baking and cooking going on here. I mean, that's always happening because I work from home, but it's happening like more now well you have you have you have your daughter back home yeah. too yeah yeah, yeah. So, so like you, you she likes to make too so <laughs> there, there we go yeah i feel like that's that is what it is but i mean but having a um an author for a cookbook author for a mother must be a very interesting process it's well, like having a very close friend who's a master at cocktails. Woo. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, I mean, now that the kids are grown, they're both into cooking. In fact, we've been doing um, Sunday night Zoom sessions. Our son's in Vermont. Um, so on Sunday nights, he and his girlfriend and um, us here at home, we all get together and cook together on Zoom. And then we finish. Oh, uh, when we're done cooking, we have a cocktail together. Which is lovely. Yeah. What's your cocktail choice for that? Oh gosh, what did we do recently? Um, oh, we had like a white vermouth tasting last weekend. So which one won? Who well, won? Koki won. Koki, which is um, the Americano. Koki yeah, Americano. Yeah. The, um, Delicious. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, well, I don't know what we'll be doing this weekend, but uh, um, did you do the vermouth with like the salts next to it, or did you just do vermouth straight? We just did vermouth on the rocks with a twist. That was it. That was like my teenage drink too. When I like the sweet vermouth when I was a teenager, um, you know, in Italy, when I was growing up, there was no drinking age. So um, when we were at the beach in summer and we'd go to the disco, that was my drink of choice. Sweet so Lord. good. <laughs> I like doing the vermouth, the white vermouth with a little bit of um, salt. 
because they have like this like beautiful salinity to it in general. Yeah. You just bring out the na- that nature of it and it becomes like the vermouth throat cocktails are so beautiful. Nice. What kind of salt are you using? Would one would do it? I mean, what would you recommend, Gina? Obviously, like, like, not like, like, a cypress, like a cypress salt, like something like a good pyramid salt is like really nice. You want like something like that. Um, do you put it in the vermouth then? Um, well, I like vermouth and like radishes on the side and like sip vermouth and like eat like um, breakfast radishes with like a little bit of salt and butter. It's very good. Oh, that's awesome. You just drink it as like a, um, you know, an aperitif. Like a little aperitivo right there. Yeah. I mean, oh, do you do you delicious. do the radish butter thing? Are you into that? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So like that's like the spring radishes, little French breakfast radishes. Um, yeah, perfect. Really good. And then right I'm now, Italian. I'm not Italian. What what are you doing with these? It's not Italian. This is well, it's European, really, right? Well, I would French say. and Italian, right? Yeah, yeah. There yeah. You know. yeah. No, I lived in Europe, but I didn't. I never had buttered radishes before. Hmm. So it's. I, I want to say it's good. a French thing, and they use that wonderful butter from Brittany. Oh yeah, so good. There's you nothing like different. Like, sorry, you have like different. So if you go to the farmers market right now, where we are, we're all. So if you're listening somewhere else, we are located in uh, Virginia, Maryland, and DC. And you want to like, if you go to the farmers market now, like the little baby radishes are starting to they're available, so you can get all these different flavors. And like, it's kind of nice. Like, you know, in this, especially now that you've been home, like, how many dinners can you cook? Yeah. Like eat some radishes for dinner with butter and like just call it. And I I mean, like, you don't have to like put a meal down every night. No, you put out that nice little bowl of radishes, good butter, good salt, some nice bread. Right? Cipollini onions from your your book. (laughs) Yes, you're nice. Available on Amazon. Get on it, people. (laughs) Yeah. I always have a big jar of jardiniere in my fridge, too. That's in the book. That's the mixed vegetable pickle. So that's always a good thing to have hanging around. Yeah. That's a Mr. Salas favorite. Must be from his days in New York, huh, Gina? Yeah. A hundred percent. Where we grew up and you went to the Italian restaurants or pizza and you got anything. The antipasti always had jardinera. Yeah. Always, 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 always. So Dominica, the crazy thing is my husband and Gina grew up like neighbors. Literally, in the same town. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And Gina went to the same high school as my father-in-law. Obviously in different time frames, but the same high school. Still, is, that, yeah. is that crazy or what? It is so crazy. And like date her husband is the only person I could speak true pizza with. Because, <laughs> like I can have a conversation with him about pizza, location, streets. Who was the pizza maker at the time? And when can you pick it up? And who was wow. what? And the only other thing is rainbow cookies and what bakery you must go to just to wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's back up. Dominica, do you make rainbow cookies? I do. I do. There's a recipe for rainbow cookies on my website, actually. And I didn't start making them until a couple of years ago um, when I went to All Purpose Mm. uh, and they have the rainbow cake. Yeah. And that was the first time because I didn't grow up in an Italian neighborhood. Um, So... I had that rainbow cake and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. So I looked up rain, rainbow cookies and I learned how to make them and I make them at Christmas time now. They're, they're really good. What I, do you soak your cake? What do you soak your sponge cake in? Do you soak in anything or no? Um, what, do, what did I do? I think I just put almond in the cake batter and I use the apricot jam. What do you soak yours in? So my, so I come to like where I grew up, 
there is the ones you got at the bakery, which are the with done with the um, almond paste and you know the, the flavoring and stuff like that. And then there's the Sicilian way, and they use the way of the ricotta to soak it. They sweeten the water and then they soak the, the um, cookie in it. Oh so the Sicilian God. cookies are a little bit different color because like the, the food coloring fades when you add the milk. They're a little bit pinker that red, but the rich, it's almost like you're eating a rainbow cheesecake. I don't. I can't describe it. That heaven. is amazing. Okay, I have to look that up because I heaven heaven. Uh, bet it is. Wow. That, so I so what? there'd be a difference, Gina. You speak deli, right? Isn't that what you call your Italian? New Yorkers speak deli, but where Dominica speaks Italian. <laughs> yeah, so Dominica speaks Italian, and then New Yorkers speak um, deli, and yeah. they, they think they speak Italian. Because they'll be like, let me get the mozz with the regards. And you're like, yeah. what are you talking about? You know, so, yeah. or the parm, or the prosciutto. You're like, they just forget, yeah. like, all the words. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and you and you go to Italy and the Italians look at you like, please, please don't come here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, just, you know what the words are. It's so funny because like you can go to Italy and really navigate like a menu just because you grew up in this country and Italian food is such a um, yeah. fabric in the, in the U.S. Um, language. It really is now, yeah. But like you could go there and like really, you know, make an ass of yourself when you're ordering the mozz. They'll be like, the mozz? They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So... <laughs> I don't know, but I do, I, you know, I don't know. There's something about, it's so, I don't know, it's so beautiful. I think everybody should embrace the Italian culture when it comes to cooking and like the family. I think it's so universally loved. It really is. Um, And what I, you know, what's not to love it. It's, it's simple. It's, it's based on, you know, what, grows near you. It's so regional. It's so varied. That's the thing about Italy. I always thought that by the time I hit middle age, I would have traveled, you know, I don't know, a fair bit of the world. But every time I get the opportunity to travel, I just go back to Italy because, um, you know, know, Italy is a small country, but every region is vast to me and deep. And there's just so much there in terms of food and culture. And uh, you know, I know that every time I go back, I discover rece- new to me recipes that, I mean, maybe they're old, maybe they're centuries old, but I've never had them before. And I mean, I'm still finding things from the Abruzzo region that, um, that I didn't, that I'm not familiar with because they come from another province, um, than the one that my family's from. So that's the, um, you know, that's the variety in Italian cooking that I think. So I to the two of you, where are your families from in Italy then? My family, my mother is from Chieti, which is in Abruzzo. So if you travel east from Rome and hit the Apennine Mountains, mm-hmm. that's kind of where the where Abruzzo starts, and then it head, it goes out to the Adriatic Sea. Okay. So that it goes side. out to the coast. So there's it's a very um, diverse cuisine because you've got your very hearty mountain cuisine, like you know pork and lamb and all of that, and then you have um, the rolling hills where. They cultivate uh, grapes for wine and olives for oil, and then you have the coastal um, seafood. Uh, so that's where my mom's family is from. And my dad's side, he's from, um, his parents were from Isernia in Molise, so that is uh, adjacent to Abruzzo, and then also Lazio, which is the same region that includes Rome. So it's that same sort of central zone. Gotcha. And then my mom's dad was from Perugia in Umbria. So basically, that central chunk of the boot is where my roots are. How about you, Gina? Like the shin spot? Yeah, yeah right, exactly. <laughs> the, shin, the shin and the calf, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, 
my father was from um, Trieste, and I was I'm first generation here. So in uh, 1945, there was a um, the last battle of World War II changed the um, the border of Italy. So where my father actually grew up was a town called uh, Puglia, and it was literally now it's considered Istria, but at that time it was Italian. So I am Italian, but then after um, World War II, it changed um, sides and they added an ICH onto our names, which was like a completely weird thing. Oh, so, yeah, the borders like changed. Like Bastianich, right? Same, yeah. Same deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, my last name would have been uh, Trisavani Itch if like we had stayed with my father, my family, my father, family didn't. So it is, it's Trisavani. So the Cares Mountains come down through um, uh, Northern Italy right there. So really my last name means of the mountain. So oh. that's where my family is from. Um, and then my mother's side of the family is all Southern. So my grandmother's from Calabria and my grandfather is from Oliveri in Sicily. Oh, well, Steve, that's town. all great. That's all great food traditions. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, North and South, you've got the best of both, both worlds there. Uh, a lot of fighting, but my father was a chef. So it was, uh, kind of amazing like I grew up my father cooked northern Italian food in um New York for you know close to 50 years and you know I have a different education and people you know they'll talk about Italian food and I'll talk about like you know stuffed gnocchi like gnocchi to me isn't these little round things gnocchi to me are these little half moons right. stuffed with ricotta and then served with like a rabbit ragu and cinnamon and butter mm. and then like sometimes there's mustard or something with it and people are like what are you talking about and I'm like it's like Northern Italy, there's other parts of Italy. <laughs> See, that's what I mean about Italian cuisine. Uh, it, and it's confusing because that, you know, the same name can mean completely different things depending on the region you're in. Um, but wow, that's, I've not heard of those. They sound amazing. Yeah, that I can, I, I can, I'll share a recipe with you for that. My, gra my, no, no, my no. grandmother gave my aunt, who's an amazing, amazing, amazing cook. She makes these, it's basically um, grappa and ricotta. And then she puts a little bit of like um, fresh um, prunes, like fresh prunes before they've been preserved. Mm -hmm. And then she stuffs them in gnocchi and then she does it with this rabbit that's been shredded with a brown butter sauce and cinnamon. And then you put it in the oven with a little bit of Parmesan cheese right to finish it. So a little bit of Parmesan cheese crisps on top right before you serve it. It's like Next that's one. so interesting and that sweet and savory that mix of sweet and savory um yeah is uh is very traditional kind of almost ancient italian i think some of those recipes probably date back to the renaissance if not before yeah oh i'm sure oh i'm sure yeah. she the is like the the time a town that time forgot yeah like you go there and don't be looking for like this like like tour or and it's a pretty big city, but it's it's literally super preserved. And there's this book um, that I love. It's called Trieste, uh, The Meaning of Nowhere. Because you're just, it's so, you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And you're like, and you don't, and like, you're so immersed in different food. And um, and the, and uh, you have uh, Austria presence in the food, Italian. And then you have the Slavic. And it's all kind of meshed together right there in that region. Yeah. And it's like, I have a whole different skill set because of it it's fascinating yeah yeah 
See what I mean? There really isn't any other place to go besides. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I haven't well, been. Right now. Yes, you know, I, I know. I'm, so, <laughs> so let me ask you this. How do you have family there still then? I, I don't have much family, but I do have a little bit of family, you know, cousins scattered here and there. And I have a lot of friends and colleagues. Um, you know, one thing I do is I lead culinary tours in Abruzzo and also in Liguria, which is another amazing region. Um, that's the northern Mediterranean coast. So you know how Italy fans out um, at the top. So that, that northern Mediterranean coast is Liguria. And that's a completely other food tradition. But um, but so I, I uh, in fact, I'm supposed to be over in Italy right now doing yeah leading a food writing thing, but that's happening next year now. So, um, so yeah, I, I still travel there often, um, for work and just for fun. I was just wondering if you had like anyone giving you an update on how they're handling, I mean, Italy got hit really hard with COVID and, and it really did turn the country upside down. Um, and obviously a country that's so dependent upon tourism, which you're right. Yes, I know. Well, what's so, what's interesting is you're right. Italy is so dependent on tourism, but I think parts of Italy were suffering from over tourism because of the cruise ships and just because of just the massive amount of humanity, just, and and you can't blame anybody for wanting to go to these places because they're extraordinary. Um, So I I sort of think of, and I know it's a really tough time, but I have to believe that, um, you know, Italy is starting to slowly open back up. People are going outside. And um, to me, I think that this is almost like a gift to the Italians. They've gotten their cities back and their country back temporarily just to appreciate what they have and um, and to be able to enjoy it for themselves um, for a little while. And I do hope that um, when tourism comes back, that maybe it'll be more sustainable. Um, you know, I, I take very small groups over. We do sustainable tours. We don't do big buses or anything like that. And we, you know, we take people to places that aren't over-traveled. We, you know, they meet with food artisans, stuff like that. And, and, and I really hope that, um, that uh, that that kind of tourism will um, take root in Italy, and it's a it's a better way to see Italy, in my opinion. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so Gina, I hear I hear a a, a, a traveling uh, designated drinker coming yeah. up. I don't know about yeah, you, yeah. but I I definitely hear this. I hear this. <laughs> my cousins are in Italy, in northern Italy, and they all got hit pretty hard. And like one of my cousins is a doctor, and she's a pediatrician, and she actually oh, yeah. got um, COVID, and she she's well. But um, oh, her good. hospital was hit terribly. And I will say one thing that our country can learn from their country, and we I think we have embraced a bit, is the sense of community and helping people around you and like taking five seconds to think about the person next door that maybe you've never even spoken to, but they might be like elderly and you can help them. Yeah. And yeah. you know, my my aunt my aunt is 87 years old still lives in Fiesta and she doesn't leave her house because she can't because she doesn't want to get sick and she's fine. She's just, you know, she's very spry. She outlived everybody. She outlived my father. I mean, like she will, she'll be a hundred easily. (laughs) Like easily. If you met her, you would never think she was even above 70. Yeah. Anyway, but my, my cousin, she survived and like, you know, they're just a different breed. It's, um, 
I, I hope that everybody learned something from this. I hope yeah. that we can all take five minutes. To I mean, for a culture that is so yeah. that that is so physical and so social, Italians yeah. are so social. Um, I think it's been very hard this distancing, yeah. but I really think that um, the country uh, came together and everybody did what they had to do to um, you know to flatten the curve. And um, and I think they're being cautious about uh, opening up and just seeing the way they're proceeding. Um, I think it's, it's um, you know, it's something we can kind of aspire to here for sure. Let's hope. For Let's sure. hope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, on a brighter note, so um, we're going to make sure that Dominica's uh, cookbooks are on, where are we going to put that, Gina? Designated Drinker Dot Show. And then you also said you were going to share a recipe. Yes, I'm going to share a recipe for uh, celery, um, no, no, no. Your recipe for your father's gnocchi. No, my, my aunt's. Your aunt's, sorry. You want me, I mean, I've been drinking. I was going to give it to Dominica, I think. But oh. okay, I'll <laughs> share. Well, we're going to make sure that those links. Um, I think Dominica can help me um, translate a little bit better. Than I'll I'll be able to that. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. yeah. It's literally written mostly in Italian. And like, I understand it just because I've made it. I've just. Oh. There are gotcha. other terms in there that I don't even understand how to write. Right. So, so people have every something is, to look forward to. When this is all over, we'll have to make them together. There you go. Well, so that. everyone has something to look forward to. But what we'll do is we'll make sure we have the links to D Dominica's, um, her cookbooks, and then that recipe that you guys, that's on your website that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> all right, I have one question. Yes. It's okay. you, Gina. Dominica, this is the last question of the day. So everybody identifies themselves now as like some sort of spirit, animal, and you might identify yourself with the red fire ant because you live in a huge <laughs> colony and you don't want predators, so you will attack them. <laughs> if you were to identify yourself as a single ingredient, what would that ingredient be and why? Oh my gosh, okay. Um, Gina, next time you should do that with your Bob Barker. I'm going to go with the ingredient that inspired preserving Italy, and that is a tart cherry, <laughs> because nice. um, they're a little sour, a little sweet. And we're all a little bit sweet and sour people, right? Mm -hmm. um, kind of squishy, uh, <laughs> nice and red, pretty color, but at the center, there's a little pit, because we all have to, you know, sometimes we are required to be hard and tough, um, so I like all those qualities in, in the, uh, tart cherry. So that's my choice. That's my spirit. I love it. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, ladies. It was wonderful getting Aww. together. We, now we got to do this after COVID so we can all get together, give a good Italian hug and eat yes. some great Italian food. Absolutely. Yes. Cheers. 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 The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. To learn more about HCOA or to find out about Missing Link's other podcasts, head over to missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.